Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey guys, this week we're going to be doing something a little different. This is kind of a greatest hits episode. From time to time, we're going to be rolling a couple of these out. There's there's a couple episodes that didn't quite get the love that they deserved. And this is one of them. This is with uh, Take from Big Head Taco. You know, a lot of people did listen to this episode, but this is such a good episode that we thought that, you know, we should re-release it so the new listeners get a chance to hear, you know, some of the backlog of... Uh, you know, our episodes. And, you know, what better time? Chris was on vacation, so we didn't get a chance to record this past week. But don't worry, guys. We have a full calendar for October ready to go and a lot of awesome guests, especially requested guests from you guys. So, yeah, this is a repeat episode. This is Take from Big Head Taco, like I said. After the show, after you're done listening, head over to our Patreon. You go to patreon.com slash analog talk, and there's a bunch of little things over there to help us with, you know, the more support we get, the more time frees up for us to do awesome things like this show. So enjoy, guys. Support for Analog Talk comes from the camera culture website, casualphotophile.com. With in-depth reviews of interesting cameras and legacy lenses, film news and profiles, industry retrospectives, and a unique editorial perspective. If you're into cameras and photography, this is one of the best blogs around. See more at casualphotophile.com. Support for Analog Talk also comes from Polaroid Originals. Go to PolaroidOriginals.com and use the offer code ANALOGTALK10 at checkout to receive 10% off your next purchase. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Analog Talk, a film photography podcast. I'm your host, Chris. I'm Tim. And today's special guest, we have Take from Big Head Taco. How's it going? I'm doing most excellent. Thanks for inviting me, guys. <laughs> yeah, thanks You're for welcome. joining us. Can you, for our listeners, give them like a little background on how you got started in photography? First of all, for analog, my generation, we just grew up with this, so there's nothing special. <laughs> yeah, and, right. I was going to say. Yeah, I started on film too, so. <laughs> and I never stopped shooting because even when it wasn't cool to shoot film, I, I worked at Kodak from 90s. I can I mean, I'm getting so old now. From 96 <laughs> to 2005, that's like like uh, that that change from digital from analog to digital yeah. and for me all my friends own labs and co- I, I had free film so even when digital came film was free my development was free printing was almost free so there was no reason for me to switch in the first place and digital at that time like we sold that kodak dcs those backs that they went on to the bottom of the Canon EOS one yeah, and yeah. the, and the, whatever the Nikon F90, whatever it was they're attached to. But, um, we sold those for 25,000 Canadians, whatever it was in the US. And it was like two megapixels. The cards were sold. So at that time, it made no sense to go digital. And by the time it made sense, right. I, I still hesitated. I was wary of digital for the longest time. And so. Right. I was one of those old guys that never stopped shooting, but still shot digital and then started reviewing digital, but never stopped shooting film. And then when it became cool, I was already there. I, I never left. Yeah. So right. I'm, I'm, I'm neither an early adopter or, or late adopter. I just never went away <laughs> shooting analog. So wait a second. Wait a second. You worked at Kodak? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, from about, uh, 90, about 96 to, well, see the way Kodak, See, Kodak today is almost like what Amazon is today. They just, in the photo industry, them and Fuji were just giants. So we were, we were a distributor for Kodak. So think about like a gas station. That's Bob's gas station, but he sells Chevron gas. And so yeah, yeah. in many markets, we represented Kodak. So when they saw me, I was Kodak to them. So I was in wholesale photo finishing and pro film. So in terms of 
Photo finishing, I sold to the Walmarts and the Costcos. And when it came to Pro Film, we handled the smaller accounts that Kodak didn't want to deal directly with. So all the little yeah. labs in town, they would buy paper chemistry and Pro Film from us. And then with Kodak, we would go and bid on larger things like the Vancouver Parks Board or when a huge event came to town like Indy. You know, we would go in and bid on these things with Kodak because we had the warehouse space. And so uh, officially, the company is called Photo Trader. And, uh, but I always say, you know, it's so hard to explain this convoluted relationship I had with them, but I just say yeah, I worked for yeah, Kodak yeah. for a decade. So, yeah, so that's kind of my background is uh, right out of university, I was planning to be an English lit major and I didn't really know what to do with it. And, um, my brother came back from Japan on a, on a exchange program and he had two cameras. I'm like, what's with the two cameras? And he explained like, oh, one, you put slide, and the other, you put black and white. And like, why do you have three lenses? Oh, well, you need a prime for this. And I kind of got, <laughs> so I, ha- I had a camera at that time, but, and, and I was a snap shooter and I would shoot everything from my food to just anything that moved. So it was really a really expensive uh, hobby. And then when my brother came back, I realized it was a way to shoot artistically. And this is what like 93 or 94. So when I graduated, I'm, I thought, well, you know what? I think I want to be in photography, but I wasn't even preparing my career. The projectile was was education, was teaching, was writing. And then so my first job was actually in the warehouse because I had no connections in the oh. photo industry. So yeah, there's this wow. job for the warehouse at Kodak. And I was like, well, I'm going to just work here. So I was sweeping the floor just to be as close <laughs> to the industry as I could. And that's kind of where I started off. Man, love that. Love that. Yeah, that's that's an awesome story, especially like the early days of Kodak. Not for them, but for <laughs> yeah. for <laughs> for us, just being in and at you know in at that time. And were you were you there through like the transition of of the digital stuff? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I le- I left in two thousand five because we what was happening was I was being promoted, but really what they were doing is shutting offices down. So they said, "Wow, uh... Taki, now you're Western Canada sales manager." I said, "That's fantastic." There's no pay raise. Uh, they just shut down the Calgary office and then dumped three sales reps on me and said, Oh, now you have an extra 150 accounts and we're paying you the same. And, and then we moved warehouses. So we went from, you know, 15,000 square feet down to 5,000 and the writing was on the wall. Labs were shutting down monthly at the time. And and these are your friends, right? And then, you know, they got mortgages, they got kids and they started selling postcards and whatever gimmick was around at the time. They were just. Right. Just trying to make ends meet, and um, you could see it kind of dying very s- slowly. People defaulting on their loans on these um, Noritsu or these Fuji Frontier machines that they Jeez. bought because you know you got to remember that places like Costco and and Walmart they don't pay for their machines; they get it free as long as they consume the paper and chemistry. But the mom and pa they have to pay the two hundred fifty thousand dollars to buy the machine, another hundred thousand dollars to get it plumbed in, and they buy paper and chemistry for more than what Walmart's doing. And Walmart, it's a lost leader. They're like, as long as people come in and you tell them it's 45 minutes to develop, so just walk around the store, they're just happy that you're trapped in the store. Because most of these labs, if you you remember, they're in the middle of the Walmart. They're in the middle Mm -hmm. of Costco because it forces you to walk in. And then they're like, they're like, oh, no, no, it's only 45 minutes. Just hang around. You shop. And so if, if Walmart made zero, they're happy. If Costco made zero, so how does a mom and pop compete with a company that got the free machine and paper and chemistry right. at twenty percent less than them? It was the end of the mom and yeah. pop era. Oh man, that's devastating. I worked in the photo lab in my local Rite Aid, and I never knew that that was the case. Oh yeah, because I see the numbers. I know what these guys are paying, and then what they're selling at. I'm I'm thinking like you guys aren't making any money off of this. I could tell because we would sell them film, and they're selling for even less than what we're selling it at. I'm like. How can you do that? And so I, and the mom paws, they're charging 20% on top of the film. So they're not even making that much. And even then everyone's complaining saying, Oh, you're too expensive because they're charging right. $10 for a roll, develop and pros and, and develop and print. And then Walmart's 550. And they're like, we, that's not even our yeah. cost. How, how do we compete against this? So when I saw that, I'm like, this is the end. And I was in paper chemistry and pro film. So you can imagine our, our sales numbers at that time. Yeah, it was just going yeah. down and down and down. So I and by that time, I was also moonlighting as a as a photographer. Like I come from a kind of a crazy. My dad had two full time jobs. I was out of college, working eighty hours a week was normal. 
because I saw my dad working 80 yeah. hours a week. Yeah. So to me, yeah. I had this 40, 50 hour job a week. And then I had weddings, weekends. I was shooting pro football. Yeah. I was shooting commercial shoots, weddings, baby pictures. So I did that for almost a decade. And I was just, I just burnt out. And so I, I oh, left sure. both. I stopped doing photography for work because I realized it wasn't making me happy. And then realizing that when I worked at Kodak, I could have been selling toilet paper because it's just, it's, it's a corporation. <laughs> And you got your numbers and you have to hit your sales targets. And so it didn't really matter that it was Kodak other than it was cool to get the free swag. But besides Yo, that, I, for, I bet. but photographically, it, it wasn't making me feel fulfilled. And so the next right. job I took was I was, I was managing a power tool store because I took that same skill set from Kodak, but in a much smaller, uh, you know, yeah. a local shop. And I started shooting just for myself. I said, forget shooting for other people. I'm not happy taking pictures for other people being told what to do. And I, and I kept on top of the industry because all my friends still own camera shops. And every week, this is still kind of pre the internet boom, pre YouTube. You still needed brochures. You still needed to buy catalogs to know the top shutter speeds of every camera. And I had yeah. been cataloging everything for, for decades of like every camera out there. So people would know to phone me, say, Hey, Take, the original FM, what was the top shutter speeds? Like, uh, I have that and I go and find the brochure <laughs> and look it up for people. So even today, I still have my own little intern, my own little, uh, unplugged, uh, access to all this old information from the eighties, nineties, even in, yeah, back yeah. in the seventies of what's the original price of the M, the, the M5 when it came out in 1976. Like I have that pricing somewhere. I just got to go and look it up. Man, that is so crazy. Man, so were you still shooting personal work during this whole time? Or? Oh, oh yeah, nonstop. I, yeah, yeah, okay. I, I, I think maybe it's that Japanese part of me where even if it's a hobby, I took it very seriously. Yeah. And it wasn't a matter of do you enjoy it? And I, and this is kind of a weird thing to say, but uh, when people say, do you have fun taking pictures? I say it's not a matter of fun. It's, <laughs> it's like breathing. I just have to shoot. Have to. Um, yeah. Some people do get great joy from taking pictures, and it's a pastime. But for me, I, it's, it's like this angst. I love it and I hate it, especially when you shoot film, you know, like you shoot a yeah. wedding and you're just, you're, you're tormented thinking, I think I missed that shot. And oh, right. I, the flash wasn't at the right zoom. It was at 28 and I should have been at 90. And why did I put it to manual yeah. zoom? I should have had it on auto zoom on the flash head. And, and oh, you know, I could relate then, to that so much. And then when much. it comes back, then you're like, oh, thank you. And you're like, I'm a genius. I'm a genius. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. And, and that kind of continued on. Like I don't shoot. For fun, I just, sh I, I, in fact, when I don't shoot, I feel stressed and upset and I feel like I have a need to. It's like an itch that I can't reach. And then yeah. once I shoot, it's like, mm -hmm. so is, is that, is that a sign of a drug addict or something? Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it's a yeah, bad thing. Yeah, I think it is. But it's, but, uh, yeah, I, it's photography. I'm right so there with totally you fine. if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's crazy though that you saw kind of the whole downslide of this whole thing and then what do you think of this whole resurgence thing like what what's yeah. what's going through your mind now with uh the comeback almost yeah i mean it will like you know even on my documentary there's some of those naysayers that are commenting saying like oh let's you know where's your horse and buggy you know where's your <laughs> they, they see everything as going backwards and i'm not delusional like i tell people in my documentary john lehman we kind of wanted a bit of an antagonist or a realist to kind of put us back. And we decided, like, do we put it at the end or the beginning of the documentary? And we said, no, let's put it near the end, which is, hey, look, uh, we're not pretending that film's going to be the primary way where we take and share pictures. It's just yeah, so yeah. much more convenient to use your smartphone. And for the average person, right. you're at a grocery store, you're taking a snapshot of of a label and then you send it to your wife or your spouse and say, Hey, should I buy the big pack or the small pack or, right. or whatever it is? It's just more convenient. It's like a way of communication more than anything. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I did that. Like, like I said, I was taking pictures of food in the eighties and nineties when, and, and Japanese have been doing this for like a long time. So when I was doing <laughs> it in the eighties, it was like the weirdest thing. It's only because yeah. of the smartphone <laughs> yeah. camera that all of a sudden right, became right. normal. But in the eighties, you were insane to do it. But to me, it's like, no, I, I want to just, this is a great meal. And I want to, it was a horrible pictures because the flash is way too strong. And <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I was taking yeah, pictures yeah. of food and my, even my mom's like, what are you doing? It's like, well, I want to, I want to remember this. And, and so you can definitely shoot analog in conjunction with digital. There is no, one or the other, you're either in or you're out. I think that's a silly way of, of yeah, seeing Yeah, I, I this agree movement. with that. Because, you know, some people are going to want to sit back. Like I always say with music, I love when music spins. So if it's a record or a CD, 
I don't know what it is about me, but see, knowing that even if I don't see the、mm-hmm. CD, knowing that it's spinning makes me feel better. And when it's <laughs> on my phone and I know it's not spinning, it's this weird feeling of like, I don't know. I just like putting in individual. I'm like, I'm like, here's I'm listening to Kid A, and you、yeah. know, like I'm listening、yeah. to Coldplay. Like I、yeah. just like CDs, knowing that they spin, and it makes no difference.、Right. I get it. It's it's digital, but it makes me feel better knowing that it's an actual thing that I put into it, and it's not virtual. But then, yeah, when I'm working out, I don't have a disc man with me because it just doesn't work. It skips. <laughs> it's horrible. It's too big. I use my yeah, iPhone, yeah. but it's the way I consume it in the environment I want to consume it. So film is photography、right. is the same in certain. Things you need to shoot digital, and in other areas、yeah. you need to shoot. I mean, for me, it's just the pleasure of shooting film. It slows me down. I enjoy it, and、um, I actually find that I, I take better pictures with film because I value every frame. Yeah, exactly. And I love that. I love how film makes you slow down and how it makes you take your time. You know, that's that's what I was when I was shooting digitally predominantly. Like that's what I was shooting was digital. I was blowing thousands of photos, not learning anything, not really absorbing anything. And you know, when I took the plunge back into this whole film thing, it, I, I saw the artistic side of it and kind of how you were talking, like the addictive side of it, where you just want more and more, and like you, you feel like you should be doing it, even when you don't want to be doing it, like you have to be doing it, kind of thing. Like, I, that really came. Came forward when I when I switched to shooting film, but I, I definitely agree that there is a place for digital. Like I, I, I don't care for the war, you know, the war film versus digital war. It just seems like a waste of breath most of the time. Like I get it. If you're a wedding photographer, you probably should be shooting digitally. Yeah, if you want to pull out a film camera and take some pretty shots, that's that's one thing. But the turnaround of digital is like the convenience. Is is needed in this day and age? You know, we are in a disposable world right now, where you, if you're not putting stuff out, it's <laughs> you're not you're not really doing anything. Yeah, I mean, even with my my feed right now, because I've been so busy on the documentary and you know through the winter months, I'm still on my Instagram feed. You know, for some people, it's like Facebook; it's like real time. But I'm a photographer and an artist. This is not、yeah. a depiction、yeah. of my real life. It's a it is my gallery、right. of my work. And it doesn't have to follow this timeline of like, wait a second, did you come back from Hong Kong two months ago? What's up with this? What do you?、Yeah. It's like, well, first、yeah. of all, it's film, and I couldn't have shown that real time. Yeah, I, I had to like get it developed and then take it back to Canada and have it rescan, and then so it takes time. Yeah, and so I realized that even my Instagram feed had to be curated a little bit more if you decide to post. Uh, film pictures, and they can't expect real time posting. Right, I, I have an Instagram just dedicated to my film photography, and still people will be like, "I thought they're like, wait, you're in San Diego?" I'm like, "I was two weeks ago." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's where、like、the, the, they, they just don't understand. I'm like, it says right in my top, like、yeah. it's a, my film photography account. Like, <laughs> and also that's why I love the stories, the Instagram stories. Because now、yeah. allows you、mm-hmm. have those throwaway pictures that's like, look, this is real time, right? But this is my curated gallery, so that when some, I mean, it, for a lot of us, it's a calling card. When a magazine or even you guys, that's probably the first thing after you saw my documentary, you probably went to my Instagram feed, and it kind of、yeah. gives you a feel of who I am and my aesthetic. And it's like, so、yep. it's my calling card, and because it's my calling card, I'm not gonna have a picture of my dog, or I don't have a dog, but you know what、right. I mean? Like that's I have a separate act. <laughs> In fact, I teach workshops on. Social media and and specifically Instagram and how photographers should empower themselves because I find that photographers are being used by influencers. So a pretty girl, a muscle guy, they they get their boyfriend,、yep. girlfriend who are actual photographers to take the pictures. And really,、yeah. it's the pictures that make these influencers look fantastic. And yet, often either they don't credit the photographer or it's just、yeah. this little side thing. And so I'm like, don't sell yourself out. Learn how to empower yourself. Through taking great images, separate your personal pictures and your like. You know, on my Instagram feed, I only follow fifty people because these are the people I want to wake up to and the people that I go to sleep with, so that I get in, either jealous and like, I man, I want to shoot like that, or、mm-hmm. get totally motivated by them. And then, like, I don't follow my wife, I don't follow my siblings on my big head taco. I have another one called、yeah. photographer, and that's my family. I follow my wife and my、right. brothers and my cousins and other people. So when people are like, "Why don't you follow more people?" Well, I do. I have a separate account. It's a personal、yeah. account,、right. and then this is my work account. And that's why I kind of didn't say、right. Takekayo Photography. I wanted to create a brand where it's like a band, right? Like, like Jimmy Page isn't Led Zeppelin. He is a man in the band, but、mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin. If Jimmy Page left and he hired a new guitarist, you get it. It's like, oh, I see. He left. 
And now there's another guitarist in Led Zeppelin. And so for me, Big Hat Taco is my brand. And uh, it gets even trickier as a business because it's, it's incorporated. So it's like, I'm an employee. It's a one-person <laughs> business. But I have to pay myself and then write a T4. And But e- even right, in terms of yeah. the, the art of it or the business side of it, yeah, Big Hat Taco is not me. And I, I wanted to create, and maybe it's my love for music, you know, like, you know, Radiohead, right? Or any cool band. Uh, there are guys that have enough ego and maybe a persona to name the band after themselves yeah you know yeah. the Jimi hendrix and experience yeah. steve ray vaughn and double trouble that's great i think they have cool names and i think they can pull it off but some people have names like bob smith and and they're like oh wow there's 18 <laughs> other bob smiths on instagram so it's yeah. bob smith <laughs> underscore 1969 and and so i thought how about a name that sticks so people don't forget you so when i say big head taco and I said taco as in like the not the Japanese taco as an octopus, but the other one. They don't need to write my name down. I'll say, and what's your Instagram handle? It's a big head taco. How about your Twitter? Big head taco. How about your Facebook page? Yeah. Big head taco. How about your website? Big head taco. Yeah. Com. How about your YouTube channel? Big head taco. It's all the same. Yeah. The same. And, and there's not me any other big head taco out there. No, no, there's not. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it and it's and it's just so weird. People want to know like. How do you come up with that name? And I love that. I love bands like Bare Naked Ladies or something yeah. that... Yeah, or, yeah, or, you yeah. Know, think Goo Goo Dolls. Goo Goo Dolls, yeah. Goo Goo Dolls. It's just so weird. You kind of want to know, like, why? And you get that extra bit of exposure and interest be- just because a name is weird. And we got to do everything we can to leverage our brand. And to do yeah. that, um, mm-hmm. if it's Bob Smith Photography, it doesn't make me want to click it. Not no, no, not at all. Right. So that's one of the reasons why I did that very strategically to to stand out. Because for me, one of the things that I say is, look, if if you're not the best photographer, be different and do a project that's unique and different from everybody else. And you don't need to pretend to be the best. It's like Peter Dinklage trying to get, you know, Brad Pitt parts. Look, it's not going to work. <laughs> He's not going to. And he understands his limits. And I'm sure Brad Pitt yeah. understands his limits. He's like, look, I can't get these parts. I'm just too good looking or I'm the wrong age. Or I'm the wrong yeah. sex or whatever. But he knows right, to leverage right, right. what he has, which is good looks. And yeah. Peter Dinklage is like, look, if I try to go for Tom Cruise parts, I'm just not going to get it. But I think I'm going to go for these really cool, unique parts that they'll hire me on my personality and maybe leverage the fact that I am a little person. And so even me photographically said, look, I look out there and going, look, I don't think I'm at that level of these guys, but I think I can leverage other things that I can do, which is very unique projects, shoes and cameras, uh, doing documentaries, yeah. um, shooting everything from an iPhone to a, a film camera. So I have a wide ability to shoot everything from something as simple. To me, shooting film was actually very similar to shooting a smartphone because the guys in the middle, the Sony A7 guys, or the, or the, you know, like, they look at both ends as crazy. Like, iPhone photography is not real, and film yeah. photography is you're stuck in the past. And I yeah. love people thinking low of me. It's like, I love it, because I love the challenge. Because I can shoot an <laughs> A7 and get the money shot every time, but I don't want it to be easy. I love the struggle. So I love shooting a film with people right. laughing at me, and I love shooting with my iPhone and people laughing at me because I want to prove them wrong that you can use these tools that they either consider uh, too elementary or they consider too outdated and then prove to them that you can take fantastic photos with these devices. I love that. Man. Yeah, I was uh, over the weekend I was shooting with my TLR, my Ishika A. Oh, beautiful. And we were, we were speaking about it previously about just slowing down. I don't always pick that camera up because I know I have to go really slow. You could shoot real quick with your iPhone or, or you know, whatever, but like making the choice to shoot film to slow yourself down and, and like be on that spectrum side of it. I, I mean, that's why I shoot film for sure. Yeah, and, and you know, for me, because I grew up with film, to me, I'm actually faster. And, and that's where another thing where I connect the iPhone with film. Because I did this thing with... um. I did a, a Leica Academy workshop with uh, Tom Smith. He runs a Leica Academy USA, and and I, oh. I co-hosted in Vancouver with him as the as a secondary instructor. And my entire presentation, I use an iPhone, my iPhone pictures. <laughs> and Tom didn't know. He just said, "You could do whatever you want." I said, "Can I show digital pictures, or can I shoot?" And I said, "Does it have to be a Leica?" I said, "No, no, no. Just show whatever you want." And they're all iPhone pictures. I think I kind of shocked him a little bit. And, um, yeah. but, but, but in the end, Amazing. and I even did a presentation in San Clemente, California with the darkroom. We did this little, uh, co- film conference with the beers and cameras with Juan and, and, yeah, yeah. and I went down there. I started off with three iPhone pictures, but it made it look like it was film. 
And people are like, ooh, ah, ooh. And I said, those are iPhone pictures. <laughs> and, and the reason why I did that was because I told them that, and this is with the Leica Academy as well, is that when I shoot with film, it's like a hammer. Once you get used to a hammer, you don't even see it anymore. It just becomes this tool that you automatically know you're not going to stub your thumb. It's just, it's a very simple device. There's nothing to go wrong with it. You can't blame a hammer if you hit your thumb. It's your fault, right? Yeah. Right. It, it, oh, yeah. Where if you have a camera that has all these menu settings and stuff and, oh, the, the raw didn't work and all the HDR is broken. Oh, the, the thing yeah. reset. So you're blaming the device. So to me, a camera that's overly te technological is a device. It's not a tool. And as craftsmen, you want a tool, not a device. You know, it's like a chisel, a hammer, and a saw. You can't mess up. And if you do, it's it's you. It's not the tool. And with my iPhone, it's the same. It's so simple. The device it melts is, away. Yeah. I just press it. And I don't yeah. have to think about the, ca the the iPhone other than what's in front of me. And that's all I have to focus on. And with film, it's the same thing. I don't have to worry about the camera. I automatically know its limits. I know its strength. Mm -hmm. I know what boundaries it creates for me. And once I know all that, then I'm in the zone and I don't even think about the camera anymore. I just get lost in what I'm trying to capture. But when I have a digital camera that has all these menus and, and articulating screens and it gives you 16 ways of capturing JPEGs and <laughs> yeah. even with video, it's like, oh, you can shoot flat profile and you can do all this and oh, like how many bit rates and that actually kind of, it makes my photography convoluted. It, it becomes like mm -hmm. then you're 20 minutes standing on a corner going through menus. I don't, I don't like that. So yeah, me, I don't, I don't have time for that. <laughs> no. And so that's another yeah. reason why I shoot film. I, People think it's complicated. It's actually, actually, it's much simpler than digital. Yeah. You Agreed. pick this, the, you want a certain look, you want, you pick, you know, Porsche 400, you want, you know, something else, pick, you know, Ektar 100. You don't have to deal with menus and filters and all that stuff, which is the best. Yeah. I mean, like once, like, like I said, so I've never had this like, oh, I stopped shooting for a decade and I need to go back and learn. there's a learning curve and I have to waste money buying Portra and, and, but I've never stopped. So in a way I'm in a privileged position where yeah, I, mean, I use that another analogy about a bar, like the first one in the bar, like, wow, you're at the bar at two in the, at eight in the morning. That's kind of early for you. Or the guy that stays late at the bar. That's like, wow, it's yeah. two in the morning. I was a guy that slept overnight. I was always at the bar. <laughs> I didn't come early and yeah, I didn't yeah, stay yeah. late. I, so because right. of that, film is really easy, but I know it's not easy for everyone. And I understand that buying Portra 800 right. in five packs aren't cheap if, if they're even available in five packs. So I, I do feel that I, I do have this advantage that other people don't have. And, but you know, at the same time, back then, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have bloggers. Mm -hmm. We had to buy the established magazines and sometimes they didn't discuss the mm -hmm. topics you want to discuss. And so you had to learn. Like even buying a lens from Craigslist back then was like, if the guy was patient enough for you to shoot a 12, 12 exposure roll, which you can buy eights or twelves. And they were like yeah. test rolls and you could buy them in 50 packs, which I had. And that was specifically to test lenses. So I'll be like, dude, oh. let's meet in front of a, ca a camera store. I would shoot off 12 exposures and then you wait and just tell them, Hey, um, I'm just testing this lens to buy off this guy off of Craigslist. Can you just wait? And you got to wait around, they process it. And I say, don't even print it. You get a loop and a light table and you quickly look and say, yeah, it's yeah. sharp. I'll buy the lens. Well, you know, like now you don't need to do that. And so in a uh, sense, yeah. I went through all that and spent a lot of money on those type of things. And so I'm in a way, I feel like I've paid my dues. Yes, it's easy for me, <laughs> yeah. but that's 25 years of shooting like this easy. It's, it hasn't been easy. It's easy now for me. And so someone who's starting out now, yes, there's going to be a bit of a learning curve. And if you can have an equivalent full frame body so that the focal lengths are, are matching and the ISOs are pretty accurate and you could test it out, frame everything with your digital and get the exposure correctly and then swap over to your film knowing that you get that. I say, hey, that's cool. And then your first roll is almost perfect as long as you loaded it right. And then you realize, yeah. oh, but look, <laughs> yeah. the highlights are different, all the shadows. Oh, I see in, in, in film it's better to overexpose instead of underexpose. I get it mm -hmm. now. And then your second roll is better. So in a way, there's a huge advantage to shoot film now than what we had to do 20 years ago yeah there is a plethora i think i think pretty much everything i learned is is i mean other than learning myself is is definitely from the youtube university there is anything and everything on youtube nowadays i mean you can just you can find anything like if i'm looking to buy a camera i look up that camera and i'm sure there's 12 reviews mm -hmm. on said camera or if there's a film stock i haven't tried yet i'll look up ferrania p30 what are the people getting with that and i'll you know watch a couple videos on that or you know it's just it's wild the time we live in where 
you don't have to... Well, I mean, you still have to learn from your mistakes. Don't get me wrong. But it's not as tragic, I would say, as it, as it used to be. Yeah. And we're in a, and, and we're also in a smaller... In a way, it's like a cultural, ghettoized community. Like, you know, there's a Chinatown. Because all the <laughs> yeah. Chinese, they immigrate to a country. And they feel... Um, uh, exposed and maybe maybe taken advantage of. So you kind of gather together the people mm-hmm. of similar interests and you protect one another. You, you create these organizations. And photography, in a way, it's become that. We're, we're a much yeah. smaller community. I mean, you know M, you know, like, yep. in most industries, like, I can't talk to the president of some of these huge companies. They don't even talk to you. But you want to talk to, like, Ilford Labs? You're probably... To, like you talk to Vishal from Camera Film Photo in Hong Kong, and he'll tell you the 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 his he'll say what questions do you have for Ilford, and he's like one phone call away from the president of Ilford. And I'm sure you guys wow. are connected. Wow. M is well connected. Bellamy is well connected. So some people are like, hey, Taka, yeah. do you know Bellamy? Yeah. What do you want to know? Well, I want to ask him this question. And, and we all kind of help each other. We don't try to charge each other for this information. Like, let's do a workshop, and I'll teach you how to. It's like, no, we give away all this information for free because we have kind of ghettoized in a, in a good way, I guess. We're smaller. We're more vulnerable. It's a lot harder to get mm-hmm. certain types of information. So we're more than willing yeah. to tell people like, hey, when you shoot this film, make sure you underexpose by a little bit. The rating is off a bit. And then everyone, it just kind of spreads like wildfire. But I say wildfire, mm-hmm. a thousand people, two thousand people. <laughs> it's not like a Sony yeah. A7 yeah. era and there's like a million people complaining about it. I think it's beautiful. I love it. Yeah, same here. Same here. So what, what started, like, how did you get into doing the whole Big Head Taco and, like, YouTube and all that stuff? How did you get into doing that? Um, it was, so it was a friend of mine. And so this is, it, it, this is kind of where my age and my analogness comes into place where my <laughs> friend's like, look, Taki, you have fantastic pictures. I can't find you anywhere online. Oh, I have a portfolio. You know, like the, the old black one. Chris probably yeah. would know. You'd go everywhere to like yeah, show yeah. people your work, wedding yep. work, commercial work. And, and you know, properly matted. And they said, dude, that's like 10 years ago. I said, oh, yeah, I haven't been in yeah. a dark room in a while. And I like to print my own stuff. And he's like, well, um, and he was an animator. He said, look, I work for this huge animation company, but I don't know if I'm always going to be here. So I have my own website where I post my personal work. And one day, if I ever get fired or lose my job or quit and if I apply for a new job, and they said, hey, what have you been doing recently? No problem. He has this website. And he says, Taka, you have to, even if it's private and you don't share what's on it, just yeah. just yeah. put yourself out there. Call it whatever dumb name you want. And say, oh, I got a dumb name in mind. <laughs> and just start <laughs> posting stuff. And so if someone ever says, Taka, what have you been doing recently? You just show them what you've done so that you have this online resume of what you've been doing. And so that's where Instagram, like I was doing the other one, Hipstamatic. And yeah, I should have yeah, started, I, I should have started with yep. Instagram because I was a hardcore Instamatic guy to about 2013. Me too. I didn't really do Instagram until everybody else, like I, I started with that, then switched to, to Hipstamatic. Yeah. And then like left Instagram and then it became popular. I was like, oh, wait, I do have an app for that. Like, and then started back up <laughs> back on Instagram, up but I was hardcore on the, Hipstamatic. because it was like film because yes. you had to pick a lens. Yeah. You had to pick a, f- a film and yeah. then it, it, you take the picture and then it would like develop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Using air quotes. And then it would show you the result after. It wasn't like, it was instant, but like it still made you wait a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like seeing different results for different things was the really cool part of that app. But yeah, anyway, I yeah. love that app. Yeah. And, and so, um, <laughs> you know, and then uh, it was actually Eric Kim that came to Vancouver in 2014. And we were in a coffee shop and I was with the local Leica uh, sales rep and he was handing me the latest Leica camera to review. And I was with the owner of the coffee shop and we were talking about Eric Kim being in town. And then the the coffee shop's son also works and he came around the corner and said, hey, I think Eric Kim is here. I said, how do you know? It's like, oh, it's this Asian guy with glasses with a MacBook. I said, that's half the coffee shop. <laughs> that's about. So yeah. we went around the corner and he said, oh, and he had a Leica. And even this, this is a very hip coffee shop. I said, yeah, everyone has a MacBook and a Leica. It's nothing special. <laughs> but we looked around the corner. It was actually yeah. Eric Kim. And we hung out for a bit. He bought me lunch. He And then he's like, wow. I, I want to. And I, I showed him my work and on Big Ed Taco. And he said, I want to interview you. So he just kind of like did this video. And this is when Eric was huge on YouTube. 
and mm -hmm. he and I was a nobody. Like um, I had no presence really, other than my own website. So it was, it was a very insular type thing where I wasn't really putting myself out there. And Instagram was still very tiny. And once he did that, all of a sudden people started getting interested in my work. And so props to to Eric. He's you know no matter what people think about him, his brand or his photography, he's one of the nicest guys. Anyone that's ever come across him or like he take his shirt off his back and give it to you. He's a very, yeah, always, very generous guy. I've always appreciated Eric's videos and stuff he's done for the community and just like watching his career grow and stuff like that too. It's it's cool. He's a good dude. Yeah, and, and that's what actually got... He basically said, Take, you have the personality for YouTube. And so he says, you should just do it. And he goes, "I'll whenever I'm in town, I'll be on your video. So I think I have like eight YouTube videos with him now or nine. So he's yeah, come to Vancouver yeah. like two or three times. And then we met in Bangkok last year. And whenever he comes through, he just hits me up and says, Hey, Taka, I'm in Vancouver. Let's, let's go for coffee. You want to shoot a video? We can shoot a video. And, and so he's really been a big support. And then whenever you type in Eric Kim, and then sometimes my videos get connected to his, because I've been yeah. on, I think I've been on four of his videos or four or five. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, he's really helped my career. Well, at least my brand when it came to YouTube. And then from there, again, I was, I think my first real YouTube video was doing the, um, the Land 250. And how to do the peel apart film. And, and, and so when people are like, Oh, you know, you jumped onto this film bandwagon. It's like, no, like yeah, I've no. always done it. <laughs> and, no, um, no. and one of my first videos almost on purpose when it came to reviewing gear was a land 250 because I thought I would start off with analog. And this is 2014 when it wasn't, it was still cool amongst a very small elite group of hipsters. You know, it was very early, right. very, very early adoption stage. You know, yeah, like the yeah. map, people still didn't get it. And I was already, and then when I did that video, I think that I kind of took off as well. Cause people were like, Hey, look, this guy's doing a land 250. I didn't realize how this thing worked. Love that. Can you talk about the, the documentary a little bit and how that came about and what the plans are for that? Cause I, I loved it. I know Timothy as well. Yeah. I watched it seven times. I thought it was great. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, so Ryan who helped me with that from arcade original, he's a, well-established cinematographer in Vancouver. Like his last gig was with Netflix. So if you go to his website, arcadeoriginal.com, oh, he's worked cool. with big brands, but he's an independent guy. He's like a one person. He worked at EA Sports. He's actually specialty is doing gaming trailers and he worked at EA and he quit because he got bored oh, with wow. it. And he yeah, reached out yeah. to me three years ago and said, Hey, Taki, I just love your YouTube channel. I love your Instagram account. And if you have any projects, I would love to do some with you. So we made three or four videos. He came to Hong Kong with me two years ago to interview Michael Kenna in Hong Kong. And while we did, oh, wow. while we were yeah, there, yeah. we shot like eight or nine videos, including a lab tour, including going to see Mr. David Chan in Champion Court. And we shot quite a few videos together. And when I did that, I had so much fun that I wanted to do it. Like at one point, my wife's like, Take, you can do this, but it's not coming out of, it's, the money is not coming from the outside. If your brand cannot sustain itself, it's, it's not a company. So I incorporated, I created this company and there's no e external money coming in. I've had investors want to invest, but they want controlling interest. I said, no, it's 100% me because yeah. that's the only way this will succeed because it's, it's personality driven. It's driven by me because if I quit, what happens to Big Head Taco at this point? Once I have other hosts, right. then maybe it could, I mean, look at when Kaiman Wong quit Digital Rev. Him and, yeah. and Locke were Digital Rev, and they, they were, were very dangerously put that much power in these two guys. They should have had four or five different presenters like CNET or Techno Buffalo. And if one guy leaves like Brian Tong from CNET, it'll hurt, but they have six other presenters. But they put everything in Kai and didn't share, I'm assuming, didn't share the profits or anything with them. So it made sense for Kai to quit. I always said Kai's going to quit. Because as soon as he quits, yeah. he's going to have 500,000 followers immediately. Mm -hmm. And it took him six months. Yeah, it months. took no time. Yeah, it took no time. And same with Locke. Locke has like four times more followers. He has like 120,000 followers. And that's, yep. that's great. Um, but for me, um, I needed external funding, but without, sh without controlling my brand. So uh, a friend of mine, another Ryan from Black Rhino Creative, uh, he's a fantastic analog photographer, fantastic cinematographer. A great, he has a working relationship with Leica and other large, quite big brands. And he said, Taki, you should apply for these grants. And they're just dying to give out this money with people with great ideas. Do you have any great ideas? I'm like, well, analog photography. And because yeah. I was already immersed in the industry, 
you know, I can speak with authority. So if anyone challenges me, it's not like I got into it two years ago. It's like, no, I worked yeah, at Kodak yeah. for a decade. I've been shooting for like professionally for 25 years. Um, and, uh, all I've been doing is talking with analog friends and I built this ecosystem of analog people. So it only made actually what a friend of mine years ago told me, Take, never enter a photo con contest and then go out and try to find pictures for the contest. You should already have those pictures in the bag. So it's about trees. He said, don't run out and look for pictures on trees. Go back in your back catalog. And if you can't do yeah. that, he says, you don't have enough pictures. And so same with this. When he said, what that. ideas do you have? It's not like, okay, what new idea can I come up with? It does, I just have to look backwards and say, okay, well, what I've been doing? Well, a lot of analog stuff. And that's kind of where my passion is. So the ecosystem was set. You know, John Lehman, uh, Greg Gerard, Mr. David Chan, and like these guys were already in my ecosystem where I'm just like, dudes, I got a grant. I'm shooting this video. Meet me here at yes. noon at, <laughs> and, and it's like, yes, That's it's done. So awesome. And for episode two and three, it's already like, I won't give away. I mean, we could talk about it off, off, uh, uh, yeah. Officially, yeah, but, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I have two major <laughs> film manufacturers that'll give us factory tours. If episode oh, two and man. three come through and I have guys like Vishal from cameras from photos, like wherever you go in the world, I'll fly out. Juan from beers and cameras, like, Hey, Taki, if you get the grant, wherever you're going, I'll fly out. Yeah. Um, everyone from episode one are willing to come on to episode two and three, uh, to help so we can develop their characters a little bit more. Cause a lot of people were like, it's too short. And I said, well, 10 limit, 10 minutes was a limit set by, uh, mm -hmm. by story hive. And because of that, we were, we were working on a longer cut. But it'll take a little bit more time. And then episode two and three, we can actually develop these characters a little bit more. And so those, yeah. uh, we want to be able to merge those three episodes and make it into one half hour episode. Yes. So we want to keep that kind of, it's like, you know, Lord of the Rings, you know, one, two, and three. It's just yeah. kind of, it's just one big <laughs> long thing. So watch them all three, together. Yeah. You exactly. watch it all together. And it'll be smooth. And there should be a, an aesthetic consistency and as well as a, a, a character development consistency throughout so you'll see so episode one is on gears as you can tell we talked a lot about camera gear and episode yeah. two is on going to be about film so we're going to explore film developing uh both in a commercial lab setting as well as a home lab setting and then talk to photographers about the different types of films that they love and why they love those films and then hopefully like a factory tour of film being made and then episode mm. three will be focused on photographers so forget about gear forget, forget about film now let's talk about the aesthetics of being a film photographer and again we're going to juxtapose the working professional the established guys like michael kenna like these guys that have been doing for decades and the amateur like the young and i think you can sort of see how we did that where we have these young students and then we yeah, had yeah the, yeah so we're going to continue that sort of like let's look at the pros but let's also look at these young kids doing it and why are they doing it and we're going to kind of explore that throughout the three episodes. And then hopefully if we get picked up, we can make more. Oh, man, I hope so. Are you going to do you, are you doing any sort of funding or will the grant pretty much cover all of this? Um, yeah, the grant is going to cover it. But I think if it goes beyond this, we definitely need. I mean, you saw you can see my YouTube videos and some people are like Take, This is an amazing movie. All your YouTube videos should be like this. And it's, it took us three months. It's funny, like yeah. the shorter the video, the harder it is. Like you know, like a, like a <laughs> yeah. two-minute Super Bowl yeah. ad. They'll tell you it took us six months, right? Mm -hmm. And and I believe it because some of those little intro sequences that you see, like it's a three-second sequence, but we were there for an hour mm -hmm. and we didn't yeah. we didn't yeah, use yeah, all yeah. of it. So we have twenty hours of footage, and we could make a full hour and a half documentary just on camera gear. We have the 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 footage, but that's maybe a hundred hours of editing, and Ryan's not cheap. And he's got a mortgage. He's got kids. Right. Uh, he's not going to sit there for, for three months to edit this and, you know, get, uh, what, 20,000 views on YouTube. And that's, you know, what is that? Like yeah. $18 from that. Yeah. Like it's, it's not going to pay for it. Uh. So we definitely need, um, outside <laughs> funding, but my brand has always been this way. I still don't have official sponsors. I use the, um, the AdSense, but other than that, I don't start off by saying, "Hey, you know, this ad, this video is sponsored by." And I, and I, I think, yeah. in a way, I see the need for it at this point. But up to this point, like I didn't even monetize my channel until ten thousand followers because I don't want to hit people with ads when I had one thousand followers. People are like, 
why is this guy putting ads for this video? He has a thousand followers. The videos had 20 views and he's already putting up pop-up ads. <laughs> so I waited for 10,000. Yeah. And, and to do this series, instead of kickstarting, crowdfunding, I thought, you know what? There's a lot of advertising money out there, billions yeah. and billions of government grants or even huge banks that just give money to, you know, Colgate sponsors a Tour de France team or something or whatever it is. I always mm-hmm. felt like, and because I come from business, I know that money's there, but the money yeah. is not in photography. Don't approach Sony for money. Approach no. an insurance company. Approach an mm-hmm. airline. Look at oh, who's sponsoring what. Like, look for art galleries. Go to the Met. See who's sponsoring those magazines, um, fashion brands, car manufacturers. And I think it's better to get sponsorship outside of the photo community because then it won't skew what we talk about. Because if Samsung sponsored this, they want something to do with their phones in, yeah, in the, and it's yeah. like no we can't do that you'll all be using samsung phones exactly <laughs> yeah, so yeah, when yeah. i went, and story hive is 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 um is run by telus which is a large it's like um like virgin mobile or any of your your cell phone carriers internet carriers so they don't really care what we talk about it's they're, they're just there to sponsor the arts to sponsor yeah so to get this outside funding to create this made me happy because like look this is a present to you guys this is a celebration of film um, I didn't have to crowdfund you guys for this, but I wanted to prove to people that not only to uh, my YouTube audience and not only to the analog community of what level of documentary we can do, but as well to, store, uh, to StoryHive saying, hey, look, this there's a lot of interest in film photography. It is now past the early adoption, and now it's kind of becoming a late adoption, meaning even the people that were looking at it sideways are going, hey, look, all the cute girls and the cool guys are carrying film cameras. I better at least kind of get an Instax or something. So yeah, I know, right, I, know yeah. I know what to hit them up with when I first approach them. So I, you know, got kids are now buying it, even if they're not initially, it's about, about the cameras, but really the, to look cool. And I say, hey, that's fine. Like, it's great yeah. that it's sort of kind of the catch on. And then with this funding, yep. I, I want to go mainstream. So if, if HBO, you know, like we will pitch this to CBC, uh, any any kind of public broadcaster, any kind of a. I don't think it's big enough for Netflix yet. It's too niche for them. My character has to be bigger. So a guy like Ted Forbes or guys with larger followings, they could probably pitch it because they say, "Hey, look, my YouTube channel has half a million followers." For me, it's yeah. like I have thirty-one thousand. I'm still very, very tiny. Um, so yeah. um, getting grants like this, they tend to give money to great ideas, not big followers. So a lot of the other guys that won the grants, a lot of them didn't have YouTube channels. A lot of them had 100 followers on Instagram, but they still won the grant. But but I had a bit of this branding power that brought in a lot of views, that brought in a lot of interest. So now I'm sure StoryHive's going like, wow, these guys, they're killing it. These other 30 videos, and then you see ours, and it looks kind of skewed in terms of uh, engagement, the amount of comments, the amount of likes, the amount of views. And so I want them to go like, wow, we really want to help these guys. Let's see about more funding because they have larger grants. So um, yeah. either they'll fund more episodes or maybe you can do a full feature documentary, like an hour and a half documentary. So yeah, but I have to come up with a great concept to sell them on. And if they do, um, yeah, you'll definitely see more episodes. Man, I, I definitely think you have a great start. The production value on that little on that little documentary is so good. You know, I kept seeing it going around Instagram. You know, people sharing it, and I need to sit down and watch this. Because mm. why wouldn't I? Film is alive is very catchy yeah. to a person who co-hosts yeah. a film photography podcast. Yeah, yeah. And you know, like I was Same. sold right away. And I, I just really hope. I mean, whatever, whatever you need us to do to help out, we're here for you too, man. So no, I think I, I appreciate you guys even approached me, and uh, you know, like like I said, this community M, you know, M tweeted yeah. it on 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 Twitter, and Bellamy retweeted uh, Japan Camera Hunter, Vishal from Camera from Photo, Beers and Cameras, like everyone, the Dark Room, everyone's really invested in this community because it's a, it's kind of a passion driven community, like vinyl. You know, it's yeah. kind of, it's going yeah. against the grain of what is, what most people, how they consume music, how they consume visuals. And I think there's a lot of value and I want the masses to at least taste it a little bit. And, and if, and if we can get outside funding, because I think internal funding, crowdfunding, Kickstarter could only go so far. And I, not that right. I feel guilty, but I don't want to ask for $500,000 
from all of you. I'm thinking, let the banks, let a bank or insurance company convince yeah, them yeah. that. And, and so all you, all we need to do is watch and vote and like. And so when Story Hive, let's just say at the end of the voting process, like, wow, everybody else averaged a thousand to three thousand views. And this video got, you know, 40,000 views. It's 40 times more than any other video. It will make even them, cause you know, they own a digital optics television channel. So this will, if we win, it'll be broadcast on Canadian television. And, oh, uh, yes. but you know, awesome. it's Canadian television. It's 36,000 people. It's not like US yeah. television, but, but I mean, <laughs> still, it, it's still an accomplishment. It's uh, the top of a very small hill. But, um, <laughs> when I get that, when I get that kind of exposure, then maybe mainstream television will ask for interviews, maybe larger YouTube channels like, you know, Casey yeah. Neistat or maybe even Peter McKinnon will be like, Hey, photo, film, yeah, let's talk amazing. to Take. And he invites me to fly out to Toronto and to promote yeah. this thing. I mean, it's a calling card. And that's what me and Ryan thought about this is like, we're going to put all the money into the documentary. We're not paying ourselves. So we haven't paid everything went into the documentary and we kept the team small, wow. which is me, Ryan and my wife. My wife is production manager. She, answers emails, she does payables, yep. she's watching, she does wardrobe, she dresses me. It may be very hard to believe <laughs> that she dresses me, but she does. Uh, and Ryan took care of the, the, the directing. He's like the DP, he's the, he's the videographer and the editor. Wow. And like, and that includes picking the music and everything. And I'm the producer and I wrote the script and I, I produced it because I, I, it was all my connections that brought all these people together. Yeah. And so there, it's a three-person team to create this type of uh, content. And I love, like I said, I love people thinking I can't do it. Thinking like, oh, there's no way on this budget. How can you pull it off? It's like, watch me. Watch me pull off the best yes. video you've ever seen yes. with basically <laughs> a two-person team. And we'll finish this series. And we want people to be looking for like, this listing of all these names it's like what there's only two names what's, yeah. what's happening here yeah I, these two it's guys funny because it? i noticed i noticed that at the end of it it was just your name <laughs> and, and ryan like, you know we did like yeah, 90, yeah. we did 90 percent of the work we had help here Man. and there we had a, a, a guy do an audio pass for us and mm -hmm. uh you know a little help here and there but really the visuals and the the whole editing process and the concept and things just myself and ryan and and ryan and i we kind of like being that underdog two-person team and i think maybe that comes from my youtube background because initially ryan's like you know in a real shoot we'd have an audio guy in a real shoot we'd have yeah, yeah, this yeah, guy yeah. and i'm like wouldn't that be and nice i said no i said we don't have the budget and i, and I challenged him I said look i know you can do it i know i can do it let's just make it happen and let's create something that nobody can ignore and people be like wow the the story is great the the characters are fantastic the video quality is right up there with anything you'd see on Netflix or anything like that. And then yep. just blow people's minds so that a bank, like, you know, we're trying to create critical mass. So like I said, it'd be a dream if Peter McKinnon listens to this podcast or a friend of his listens and says, hey, you got to listen yeah. to this big head taco guy and you got to watch this documentary. And if he sees it and I fly over there and then all of a sudden I have 100,000 followers, then I can approach the banks and the airlines and say, hey, look, right. like, look at my followers, look at my friends. Um, and then it's not about me. Cause you know, if you look at my channel, I have more fun interviewing other people, just like podcasts, you know, you enjoy featuring other people. So I sort of feel like yeah. a, a Jimmy Fallon or, or sure. Johnny Carson or David Letterman, their career is based yep. on interviewing other people. And so yeah. I'm not focusing, like, I want to be a legitimate photographer. So people say, Hey, Taki reviews cameras. He talks about cameras, but actually, you know what? He's actually a pretty good photographer, but I rarely <laughs> talk about my, I don't have a book. I don't do gallery shows. But I want people to say, look, I respect him as a photographer because I look at his work and it's actually legit. But he spends all his time talking about other people and featuring other people yeah. because I think that's the best way to get to the top is because look at a guy like David Letterman. He knows everyone because he features other people. Of course, these yeah. guys love him because you're putting other people on a pedestal and they remember you because the whole topic is about them, not you. And so I'm hoping with this, it'll give us more funding to not feature me and Ryan because, you know, you don't even see Ryan. I even said, hey, Ryan, it'd be kind of cool yeah. <laughs> if it, I could incorporate you into the movie. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm the guy behind the camera. I don't want to be right. in it. And even for me, I did voiceovers and I didn't talk in the, I just, yeah, like, I, I didn't talk in the movie because I wanted all the intention on, on the people. And we're going right. to continue with that with episode two and three and maybe up to episode 10. We'll see. Oh, man, Ooh, I, I hope so. I hope all the fingers are crossed. We, we hope everything falls into place for you.
Thank you. Thank you. It's just so good because like I, well, and Chris, we've both been, you know, dabbling in the whole YouTube world of things and trying to grow a channel as well as, you know, this podcast and, and kind of just dipping your toes in different parts of this whole thing and trying to, you know, just be a part of the whole community in as many aspects as possible. And, and, and just like you said, you, you kind of give a platform for the other person and I'm starting to, to work on that with my channel. I, I want to bring a series that's basically like an interview series, you know, where I go out and shoot with another photographer and we kind of just shoot the crap and, you know, learn what we love and like about photography and what keeps us doing it and stuff like that. So it, it's just cool. Like, I, I mean, I've been watching your videos for years, oh. so it's, it's just, <laughs> thank you. Appreciate that. It, it's just cool to, to kind of talk a little bit of shop with you and, and listen to your kind of thoughts about the whole thing. Cause I don't, I don't really know many YouTubers personally. So it's, it's just yeah. cool to hear things that you're saying tonight. I, I really appreciate you popping on. All right, guys, this is the part of the show where we break off and take a question from one of our listeners. All right, and this question comes from Dunn and Shuttered. He asked, how has analog influenced you personally and as a photographer? Take, do you want to go first? Yeah, analog as in, I guess, photography, because to me, I'm also a musician. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> same, same. So here. for me, in a way, analog, everything is kind of, it's been a lifestyle for me. I like things like for instance i only buy cars that are stick shift because i want the control i don't mm -hmm. want the car to decide for me i ride a fixie bike because i love the idea of the cadence and me being in full control i love my acoustic guitars and even my electric guitars i love tube amps and i love the point to wire to wire the older stomp boxes i have nothing against digital at digital everything I mean, we were using digital at this time but oh yeah but at a creative level or at a level where when I'm bike riding and I want to be in the zone, I find that mm -hmm. because the analogy of the hammer being a tool and something a computer is a device, the, the, the simpler a thing is, the more I know. For instance, if you shot a really great picture with a Sony A7, people are like, oh, what camera did you use? Like, that's a great picture. What <laughs> camera did you use? They don't credit the photographer. They credit the camera, right? But the simpler yeah. the tool they credit the photographer. Like you got a hammer and you built something. They don't say, oh, that's a great hammer. They were like, or that's a great oven right. you baked that cake in. Yeah. They're like, wow, that's that you're a great so chef. Cool. And so the more complex an oven gets, the more the oven can do for you. Like, oh, this oven mixes for you, does this. They credit the oven. They don't credit. And in, in, in a way, that craftsmanship is taken out. And so the more analog you are, yes, in one sense, it's more complicated because there's more steps. It's not automated. Like right now, cars can self-park. And I'm thinking, you know yeah. what? Parking right. is a skill. And I think <laughs> if if there's a generation of kids that don't learn how to park their own cars, what if that feature fails? All of a sudden, like, I don't even know how to parallel park. I think it's a, oh, it's, it's a fundamental swimming. It's a fundamental skill. You know, writing <laughs> is a fundamental skill. And for me, if you are a photographer, and especially if you're new to photography and artistically you're very creative so you picked up an iphone or a digital camera and all of a sudden like wow he's never gone to photo school he's got this aesthetic he's amazing but to become a craftsman you need to know the craft of photography and i've challenged many of my my recent photographer friends that have gotten great success on you know they're doing magazine covers but never have they touched a film camera it's like you need to at least learn on it and i right. guarantee you as a creative you will love it. You will love the fact that you're in complete control and there's a bit of fear in the fact that when you take a picture, you can't see it. But that fear is a good type of fear. It drives you, it motivates you. If you screw up, you know, like the next time, your, your brain, the right part of your brain is working, not the menus and, and will yeah, this HDR yeah. work? Like that's the, yeah. the wrong side of the brain you should be worried about. But the creative side, that's like, will this film that, or I heard that the reds are fantastic. And, and when you shoot it and Cine still looks exactly the way you thought, it, it's like, wow, that's, that's fantastic. I think it, it'll make you a better photographer. Analog anything. If you're a guitar player, play an acoustic. You know, like if you ride a bicycle and it's, it's, it's e-powered, try a fixie or a single speed and just see how you deal with hills where you got to ramp up to it before you go up. And right. when you go downhill, you got to watch your cadence. Uh, I think analog anything is fantastic as, as a building block to like, for instance, if you're a darkroom artist in Photoshop, you should actually try to do a real darkroom. 
understand what it yeah. means to actually dodge and burn. Mm-hmm. So you understand where some of these terms, you're like, oh, I get why it's called dodge and burn. Right, where if that's right, all you right. learned on, you don't really understand the foundation of all these terms, where they all originally came from. ISO, like what's ISO? Well, we know what ISO is. These kids, they put yeah. on auto yeah. ISO and they don't like, oh, wherever it lands. It's like, do you know why <laughs> yeah, ISO yeah. existed? What's yeah. DIN? What's ASA? They don't know any of these things. And I think they should at least for a foundation of what photography is. And then if they still choose to go to digital, that's fine. But at least you understand where all this knowledge came from. Man, good answer. I'll go next. Yeah, go, Chris. I was actually thinking about sort of like a similar, I guess, question on my drive this morning. If I didn't fall back in love with analog, if I would still be shooting as a professional. Because I did like did the weddings and did the portraits and got burnt out. Not not quickly, but you know, it got burnt out in the in the in the long run. And a lot of it too is because people didn't want to pay for the craft and the the art of it. They because you know digital cameras were were becoming so accessible that everybody was shooting. They don't understand the value of what you're producing and creating. So like analog for me is like that's me, that's mine. Like that's what I do for me to make me happy. Like you're talking about scratching that itch. That's all analog. All of it is is film. I pick up my digital camera essentially just for work nowadays, which I've said before on this podcast, but I think analog has kept me in love with photography in general. And that's what it has done for me anyway. Nice. <laughs> a much simpler version of what I just said in a long convoluted way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, just, you know, just what Taki said, it's like, I still listen to cassettes. Everybody has an electric skateboard now. I still kick a skateboard, nice. you know, to and from. Man, I just, I couldn't imagine. I think it was like, when did I move to Tennessee? It was like 2012. I got directly into digital photography, like right when I moved here. It's all I was doing. I was assisting on shoots and music videos and doing behind the scenes photography all digitally and was blown away by it, was loving it, was loving the artistic aspect of it. And then you get burned out so easy when there's no skill involved. And I feel like, I mean, yeah, you need to know your framing, but these digital cameras pretty much do everything for you. I remember Mm -hmm. getting a big, big Canon 5D thrown into my hand and being like, just point it in that direction and you'll get the shot. Just, just press the button. It'll, until I figured out settings and I didn't figure out all the, I I remember the day I was doing, I had a friend over doing a portrait shoot. And I was shooting film and I was like, I want to try flashes and strobes and stuff, but with film, because I've never, you know, I never did it. I, I just, I pushed the button and adjust the settings until it looked right and never really figured it out on my own. And I'll, and I'll never forget when it all just kind of clicked and yep. I, I could use strobes and flashes with a film camera. It was, it was such a rewarding feeling to know that you know the images were there just as long as they were developed properly and all that stuff that the images are going to be there and then that was kind of it i kind (laughs) of sold the digital camera right (laughs) after that and was like i don't want to do that anymore like we I, i don't know it's just that tangible and i love I love stuff. I'm a stuff person. I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a minimalist by any means. <laughs> I love stuff. So to have all the negatives stored away, like I love my little negative shelf, you know, like where all my binders are. And then I love where all my prints are for shows. And it, it, I just feel like it would all be, I know where my hard drives are and I know where my this, is. you know, it, it's just, it's a totally different thing. And, it, and it's changed my I think it was, wasn't it about changing things or what, what was the question originally? I don't <laughs> How analog affects us and as well as affects. our photography. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it's, it's affected me greatly because now I'm developing film. I, I wouldn't see myself having my own personal dark room and now I have a dark room, you know, like I, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm just, it's changed it greatly because now I'm striving to still learn more and still go slow and I was gonna say and now like it's also like the passion is like spilled over not even just for like w- what we shoot but like sharing with other people like you know our YouTube channel and now we have a yeah this podcast. this podcast I'm very thankful for it for good sure question very good question well thank you so much for joining us Take. we really really appreciate it we're so excited for everything you got in the works we can't wait to see what you do with this documentary I know everybody else is already hooked so where can everybody check you out like your Instagram your YouTube and and stuff like that. Yeah, so if you just type in Big Head Taco, so that's B-I-G. <laughs> Into anything? To anything. <laughs> Instagram, Twitter. I, I'm not a huge fan of Facebook, uh, but I'm there. I have a page. But really, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and my website, BigHeadTaco.com. If you go there, 
that's that's all my major socials there great awesome timothy you can find me on instagram and twitter at timothy makeups i also make youtube videos about film photography related things and that is also timothy makeups on youtube i started doing another podcast called we believe in film i'm sure you guys know this that listen to this podcast but the anchor platform wasn't it wasn't filling my needs. So currently that podcast is also living on my YouTube. So that's uh, that's once a week. I'm going to be doing that once a week from now on. And yeah, that's that's where I'm at. How about you, Chris? Where are you at? I'm Chris B. Photo on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. I also have a, like I mentioned before, I have a film-only Instagram, which is Chris B. Shoots Film. You want to check out my film stuff there. Our an- our podcast is on Twitter at Analog Talk Pod. We're on Facebook as a page you can like and a group you can join, which has been really awesome. We love what you guys are doing in that group. Yeah, I love I love the group. And we're on Instagram as well at just Analog Talk Podcast. And that's where you guys can send us questions. We also have an email, Analog Talk Podcast at Gmail, for questions we can ask our listeners. And that's about it. Woohoo! Yeah. Great. So thank you again, Taka. This has been this has been awesome. This is this was great. I like hanging out with you nerds. I call us all, <laughs> yes, all camera nerds, film nerds. Hoping not, yep, hoping yep. not insulted so by that great. term, but it's an honorary title. It is, it is. Exactly. We'll see you next time. First off, I want to thank Take for being on the show. Very inspiring episode. If you haven't yet, go watch his documentary, Film is Alive. It's pretty good. I watched it, I'm telling you, I watched it 12 or 15 times already, and it hasn't gotten old yet. So there's a link under the video to vote. If they win this whole voting process, they get more funding to create more episodes for this thing. So get over there and vote. Watch Film is Alive. And that brings us to Patreon. If you didn't know, we have a Patreon. You can just go to patreon.com slash analog talk. And there's a bunch of perks over there. You can get stickers, pins. I know Chris and I are going to give a signed print to one of the tiers. We're going to be doing live streams. We're going to be doing, you know, Q&As and all kinds of fun stuff. So head over to Patreon. Every little bit helps grow this, this whole podcast thing and keeps it going. So until next week, guys, I will see you then. Later. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.